Is it a coup? Um, I, I've been intentionally ignoring the whole runoff thing and all the mention of a coup because I just I don't believe there's actually going to be a coup. I don't believe that anything's going to happen. This episode is a three-parter. The first part was recorded immediately after the presidential election of 2020. This is November 15th. <laughs> Yes, it is. 2020, 6.51 p.m. Yeah. It's Jimmy and Ollie. Podcast. Podcast episode. That's right. Coming yeah. at you. Anyway, we're talking politics. Yeah. Can you guys believe it? <laughs> <laughs> Trump. True. Biden. Who's going to be... Who's going to win? Actually, we know who won. Oh, yeah. That's the one. That's the thing I wanted to talk about. Did you see the did you see the yeah. rally? Million MAGA March. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a funny. Million MAGA March. It's funny because the acronym is like Make America Great Again. And there's only 2,000 of them. <laughs> <laughs> there's only 2,000? Yeah. There was yeah. only like 2,000 people. Um, I, I looked it up and I was like trying to do the research and I was like, how many people showed up? I was very confused because the numbers were yeah. like deliberately obscured and then like there was one photo that was like clearly photoshopped and the contrast was turned way up and all these little red dots were added so that to make it look like more people showed up <laughs> red dots yeah 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 then they call it the millions very very misleading because like other marches on washington recently like the women's 2017 march like there was hundreds of thousands of people if yeah. i'm not mistaken in 2017 and then there was the one black lives matter March and on Washington DC. I don't remember how many people oh, okay. were there, but but yeah. there was marches all over the country and that, that were actually in the like many thousands and uh it's funny <laughs> million. million they're misrepresenting yeah. their own value and worth. Yeah, it I don't know. To me it's funny because it's like puppetry game almost that happened. Black Lives Matter kinda had its moment this year and actually kinda like convinced a lot of people, the majority of Americans, to kind of pay attention. You know, mm -hmm. and I felt like Republicans were like, "Oh, that looks kind of fun, actually." Like, <laughs> like big in the signs and stuff. It's like, yeah. cool. <laughs> they needed to have a march, like, to feel like they were doing it too. This second segment was recorded within days of when the attempted coup at the Capitol occurred on January sixth, twenty twenty-one. Yeah. Like all this sweeping censorship that's taking place right now on the guise of uh, quelling disinformation. There's this idea that disinformation is, is the biggest problem in the, in the country right now. Yeah. And on every platform, there's like these wild draconian uh, censorship policies being passed. Yeah, all of a sudden, like in the last few months, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the last few months. Everywhere. Shit. Yeah, I wonder what that, where this is going. Like if it's... There's definitely some positives, but there's also obviously going to be some negative problems with that. I mean, what are the positives? Before, it was sensational, like passionate. People were getting a, a higher voice than people who are being more reasonable and calm. And they're kind of like, they're able to mitigate that a little bit by, by like basically taking out things that are too incendiary. They're just silencing posts that are too incendiary. And that serves to make us have more rational discourse, which is a positive. But it also, there are a lot of people who 
get caught in the crossfire because they're they're deemed incendiary, but they're not. They're not trying to be just incendiary. They're trying to. They're actually having some good ideas, you know. And it's up to the moderators to decide what is good and what's bad. So there's inherently flaws in that. But I th I think it's that like that 95% thing. It's to me, it's kind of like welfare or like. 95% of the people are benefiting from it, but 5% of people are just taking advantage of it, right? I mean, I don't know. The, yes, the moderators, but the moderators are just like the foot soldiers of the tech, the tech platforms themselves, which are private corporations um, that were basically allowing to be supranational arbiters of, of free speech. You know, um, that that is something that should be, if, if anything, um, the role of, of government, which, you know, even that is like contentious, you know, the degree to which government should control speech, but to let like private tech platforms do it. That's insane. That's, that's very cyberpunk 2077. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like every bad policy, it starts out as a decent policy and then becomes bastardized. Like I know, I guarantee you, I agree. Like it's going to be used the wrong way for the next several for the next decade <laughs> but right now i think it's uh, the reason it was passed is because it has a value or do you think they're just they're just abusing their power right off the get-go yeah I, I do i don't i don't think there's any value to it you said like rational speech as opposed to incendiary speech but i don't really see anything especially rational about the narrative of you know what you would call like the the center or establishment position there's nothing more rational about it. It's just within the window of acceptable speech. You know, it's been, I mean, you know, the last three years, like look at all the mainstream media outlets that have been frantically shouting about how uh, Russia is, you know, taking over the all this Russiagate shit mm -hmm. and how Trump is an agent of the Kremlin and like all these wild conspiracy theories that have no basis in reality. Mm -hmm. Fact checked, verified. <laughs> They're being fact <laughs> independently fact-checked and verified. And, like, yeah. I, yeah, I do understand. Like, the argument is that they are censoring speech on the far right. You know, they're taking down, like, the uh, QAnon groups from Facebook and, like, boards from Reddit. But they're also, uh, maybe out of an effort to uh, appear non-biased or non-partisan, um, they're also, like, taking down leftist uh, communities and boards and... I'm seeing people on both sides being affected, so that's positive to me. Because it's like it's like if you're in a in a movie theater, you're not allowed to yell fire, you know. And it's, there's a good reason for that. Like it's censorship, but there's a reason for it. You know, you're not trying to create a panic. It's the same reason. Same thing as like a bunch of people saying the COVID vaccine is this or the COVID vaccine is that. It's it it might it may or may not be true whether whether we agree with it or not. The point is you have to keep people calm right now. Like you need steady, calm feelings of leadership and discourse. And in the meantime, you calm know, like sheep right now. That's what we need. That's the medicine <laughs> we need in general. No, that's been bad. Like for most of my life, I've been a radical who's been talking about fascism and people have been whenever I bring up, um, you know, anti-fascist ideas. Yeah. All of your ideas. <laughs> But right now, everybody's in a state of panic, so it's it's probably better to have more calm discourse for the country, you know? But could you really say that the role of mainstream media has been to keep people calm? I mean, I feel like it's the opposite. It's, it's uh, spreading fear. 
Well, it has been the opposite, and that's why they're that's why they're passing all these um, new these new censorship rules. They're realizing that um, it's gone too far. Like they tried to let it be free and open for too long. It was like the Wild West for a very long time, and it's it's starting to have a huge effect on the world. Like it's what caused Trump to win the election initially. Is all the incendiary posts on Facebook. It's what caused all the racism to like explode. All these racist groups to just like explode with passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to like be like, oh shit, maybe we shouldn't just let people say whatever they want. Is this a lot of responsibility when you have thousands of people listening to you to say something that's not going to start a riot, essentially? I mean, there's there there are arguments to be made against that idea too. That uh, Trump won because of Facebook posts. I mean, I'm, that is a, a powerful force. But you know, you could also make the argument that one of the things that contributed to Trump winning was all the free airtime given to him by the mainstream and especially the liberal media, mm-hmm. exactly, which had the effect of you know proliferating his brand and that was all alarmist coverage you know yeah. he's a uh, cheeto hitler he's he's going to do a fascism yeah um and i think that ha- had a huge hand in, in getting him elected yeah so but that's that's mainstream media yeah that's the that's point. not like you know your uncle's facebook post facebook is just the platform on which that happens it's not really you know facebook itself who's that who's to blame it's just a human nature kind of thing acting out on a platform in front of all of us to see whether or not the person is like you know famous on facebook and has a lot of following and started out as like a crazy uncle guy or whether it's like you know bill o'reilly yeah with a more quote-unquote traditional platform like yeah it seems like we're just a very warlike people we just love to battle so anytime you see something you want to you want to present the opposite side and you want to so 50 50 just become comes up naturally yeah, it's all culture war, though. That's that's the other problem. I feel like these sort of symbolic issues are curated for us by the, those same media gatekeepers, um, and they're they're typically issues that yeah. don't really have any material bearing on our conditions, uh, you know, improving our lives, uh, especially on economic policy and conditions. You know, they're all um, they're all like either identitarian or just like. I, like uh mm-hmm. meaningless just something it's like a pressure release valve for us to expend i feel like i use that phrase on our podcast all the time but it's you know it's like a way of tiring yeah. people out arguing about um you know gays versus guns or something like that things that it's as yeah. far as the way they're written into law aren't really subject to any real change it's the While content we just sort of, of the ignore day. the fact that we're and as we argue about those things, we ignore the fact that, like, we're living through the largest upward upward transfer of wealth in American history. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at the look at the Georgia runoff elections. Like, a hundred thousand more people voted this time, and the Dems won because they just came out. Like, they that's the way fighting works. Is like it's about it's about the amount of effort you put in, and you always kind of match the amount of effort you put in with your opponent. Right. If your opponent's not trying that hard, you're not going to like try that hard to beat them. But if they're coming out trying to re fucking, you know, count the entire election and steal it, all of a sudden you're going to be like, OK, here I go. I'm going to come step it up. Like, that's, yeah. So it's always going to be 50 50. Like 
in the you know the wrestling matches I've been in, if a, if a guy's coming out all wimpy and like tired, I'm not gonna go mm. full force and try to pin him immediately. I'm gonna be like, all right, let's just let's just kind of work my way into this. You know, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna just barely win. You know, <laughs> if I, if that's all it takes, you know. Yeah, there always has to be an opposition party to maintain the illusion of democracy. The third and final segment of this podcast was recorded a couple weeks after the coup, giving us a chance to digest what had occurred and then discuss the uh, implications for our country. I have this one idea that's been uh, that it just occurred to me while I was in the shower. Yeah, I would like to get off my chest while it's all right. Um, I don't know why. Well, you guys remember Eiffel 65, the blue Davidi. Basically, Eiffel 65 predicted the dot com bubble. Okay. That's what I realized. Um, the dot com bubble happened. It was like on the rise, 1999 into 2000. Like it really started to pick up. In, in the year 2000, peaked towards the end, and then dropped. And uh, Eiffel 65 dropped that album that has Blue Dabba Dee Dabba Die in 1999, um, when the bubble was just starting to pick up. And there's one song on the album called Living in a Bubble, but the lyrics say, the bubbles are not reality, it's inside your head. Uh, isn't it suspicious how the world is now your friend, getting in return 1,000 more than what you can ever send? We live in a bubble, baby. A bubble's no reality. Nothing in the bubble is the way it's supposed to be. And when it blows, you'll hit the ground. Wow. And uh, like several months later, the dot-com bubble burst and the economy tanked. And that was like, us. they were trying to warn us. That oh was like the God. first big economic bo- bubble of our lifetime. And it was like really the first one, first major one after like the post-war boom and deindustrialization and all that shit. We thought they were just some grungy, you know, Euro trash boys. Some Euro trash. They were like some Nostradamus. They were on some Nostradamus (laughs) shit. We should have listened. We should have (laughs) listened. They gave us that one hit wonder so we'd listen to the rest of their album, but nobody did. (laughs) What else did they prophesied? Yeah, I know. I've been listening through all the songs now. They did one song that's just about playing PlayStation, and they're just like listing <laughs> PlayStation games of the time, like Metal Gear Solid and Resident Evil. <laughs> that reminds me of a. Uh, you guys remember Digimon? Yeah, love mm-hmm. Digimon. It was just like Pokemon, Digimon. but digital monsters. Way better. Yeah, you know? the digital version of Pokemon. It was way better than Pokemon. <laughs> it was better. I mean, story story wise. Yeah. Because Pokemon was just like a blood sport. It was just like uh, dog fighting <laughs> or cock fighting. <laughs> it's just funny thinking about that like in the early 2000s. Like here comes the internet, you know, on the dot-com bubble. Like someone was like, oh, Pokemon is this new thing. Have you heard of this? And whoever thought of, you know, Digimon was like, you know what? I'm going to one-up this shit. Like yeah. I'm going to take Pokemon and make it digital because that's that's like where the next horizon is that's where things are everything's going to be digital just wait digital monsters (laughs) now that it's just not really a buzzword anymore so it's just it's just funny yeah yeah the time it was so cool and then the bubble burst and then 9-11 happened and it's just been (laughs) downhill ever since yeah that was the main thing i was hoping we'd have time to get into last time is all the parallels between um 
the uh, quote-unquote coup attempt and uh, 9-11. Mm. Not so much like in in terms of the actual event itself, because I think like compared to 9-11, this was like a very nerfed media spectacle. But in terms of the way it's being like synthesized through media yeah. um, and spun almost like a liberal 9-11... Um, yeah. In order to in order to sort of like Trojan horse in some really wild censorship and anti anti domestic terrorism laws and um, um, yeah. you know privacy violations. It totally is happening, like Patriot Act two Yeah, it's like it's, it's definitely happening, and as far as stopping it, it seems impossible. So it's hard to like what? Yeah, I don't know, like an angle on it. Like, how do you? It's just sort of this inevitability that's kind of playing out already. It does feel impossible to stop. Yeah, I, f- I feel very powerless. I don't feel, I don't, I don't have an answer for that either. Normally I feel like I have an answer, like an optimistic answer for that one. But I, I might have said this last time, but especially the way, like as a media spectacle, it's really effectively manufacturing consent from people on, you know, the liberal left this, or the center left. Because um, the only thing that really like, sort of pumped the brakes on the last war on terror, quote unquote, is that people in the United States were a little bit uncomfortable about those like draconian anti-terror policies being pointed at U.S. citizens being used domestically. But this time it's not like a foreign threat, like, uh, you know, uh, radical Islam, like playing off of the xenophobic impulses of the right so much as it is actually American citizens um, playing off of the sort of division in American politics in the left specifically to manufacture consent for like othering these like uh, unwashed masses that stormed the Capitol, making people like excited about, you know, like let's let's throw all these people in prison for 10 years and let's uh, let's dox them all online and um Jeez. You know, with, with the with, with the real short sightedness that, you know, if you think that these policies and these new laws aren't going to be used against the left, like immediately, then you're, you know, just myopic. Yeah, that's pretty stupid. Myopic. Good way of saying stupid. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> I mean, it asks it asks empathy of us. Right. That's like something we've we've talked about in the past mm-hmm. Oliver I think you and I were talking about like empathy for the right basically any, anybody no matter what the situation is being able to empathize I mean if you believe yeah. in certain inalienable rights they only extend to the people that you like and agree with then you don't actually believe in anything this is going to be a big tool to you know used by the elites and the establishment powers you know in their battle against class you know class warfare Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's just another iteration, another reason why we need to, you know, become more class conscious and join with a lot of the people who, you know, maybe even voted for Trump because we have a lot more in common with them than we do, like, with our elites that we, you know, pretentiously feel like we align with more for some reason. But, you know, yeah, it's it's just mm-hmm. a in, yeah. in, in you know in that in the phony battle of left versus right like Republican versus liberal they're they're acting like they have to stop domestic terrorism but it's just really gonna end up being used you know by the powers that be to maintain their power. 
I think things are changing. We're realizing that we don't have to pay. And there's nothing that they can do about it. And like that's something that's going to trickle, I think, just trickle up through the classes where everybody's going to suddenly say, I don't actually have to pay these debts. And it's not just medical debt. They'll start saying it for student debt. I mean, it's they'll start saying it for rent. This is happening all across the board because we're not, we don't have the money to afford it. And because there's so many of us, we have, we have the power in numbers. We have the ability to just go on a rent strike. Yeah. As a country, that could become a collectively possible idea. A paradigm yeah. I, I feel like as, as we get poorer and poorer, like, you know, the gap between the rich and, you know, the, everyone else gets wider and wider. Like, it, this actually kind of has an adverse effect on political candidates and their the way they, you know, do their campaigns because they need to have money to run campaigns, right? Mm-hmm. So that gives them more, it's like more incentive for them to go to the rich people and it's more power the rich has. You know, the richer they are, the more power they have. But um, it's all fake money. Well, well yeah, but, all money is fake money. Yeah, exactly. So uh, like, But I, I'm saying if you're a politician and you have to have money to run a campaign... And if everyone, you know, that you want in your district is broke, too broke to donate to your campaign, you are forced to go elsewhere. You're forced to bend the knee and, you know, and try to get money from corporate institutions or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's less and less likely for actual grassroots movements to be empowered. Yeah. So financially, specifically. I, I keep There's... coming back to this one idea that Andrew Yang came up with, the uh, democracy dollars thing. Because I think that would be... One, I, that's a really good idea. Basically, like every citizen gets like $200 they can only spend on a candidate. You know, it doesn't have to be 200 It could be whatever number of dollars. But Oh, right. Vote with your dollar. Yeah. The only reason, you know, Hillary and Obama say, well, this is the way it's been forever. is because that's the way it's been forever. Like you have to bend the knee to the corporatism, you know. And the only way out of it is to give, you know, give every, give every average person the ability to donate to campaigns and then suddenly the you know the people the politicians have to appeal to those people and they have to start like actually speaking to their interests because they don't you know they can actually afford to yeah okay, okay but this is still all in the political sphere but trump just took a big giant shit on the political sphere and the way things work the way things are run politically and to me that's going to set us up for a total paradigm shift in the way we view our power and how we are able to affect the world and the way things are. If we can seize the means of production, it doesn't matter how many fucking stupid ass laws they they put they put out. Like it doesn't matter how many lobbyists there are and how many motions they make and it, at the end of the day, if we just say no, we're not paying we're not paying rent. And, or we just say, no, we're not buying from Walmart or no, we're not doing this. Then that that's all that really matters, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's one of the that's like one of the last things that we could do, like a general strike, a, a really well organized general strike would work because it re, I mean, the economy is built on labor. Labor is the driving force. But not only do people not really aren't don't don't really have the ability to articulate that concept they also don't really have the ability to organize um and that has a lot to do with you know like there's this sort of of fantasy uh well yeah i mean you could you could definitely there's definitely something to be said about the degree to which we are alienated as a culture you know we're all like 
interacting exclusively online through these funnels and algorithms that are literally designed to pit us against each other and, and make people angry. You know, angry people click more. Um, but then there's also the aspect of, like, well, there's like a, a fantasy that's indulged on the left where well, if things get bad enough, once things get really, really bad, there's going to be a point where people won't take it anymore. And then they'll organize and then they'll mount, you know, a general strike. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really doesn't work that way. The harder things get, the harder it is to be. It's actually because the harder things get and the less resources you have, the harder it yeah. is to effectively organize. You can get people mad and you can get them to blow off steam in a controlled way like Occupy or like as we saw what, what happened no, this summer. No, it's happened you know? before. We've already done this. Like we've been through this as a country, even in America. And we had no money. We had way less resources than we do now. And the effect was for everybody to get together and organize general strikes and unions. And it worked. It's already been done before. So you're t- to say yeah, that it's the, not... Yeah, but the labor movement was very different back then. You're talking about like under FDR and the New Deal, right? Right. But the labor movement, we, I mean, we actually had a labor movement back then. We don't have one now. Um, and the New Deal was still, in a, in a large way, a compromise. It was like, okay, we don't want you to organize to this degree. It was starting to mount into, into literal direct action and, and uh, violence. And they were like, okay, something's got to give. So FDR went and spoke to all the, you know, robber barons, all what would be the analog for the corporate power we have today, even though it's very different, and said, uh, something's got to give. So we're going to do like a massive make work program, which was the New Deal, and invest in infrastructure and all that. Um, and yeah, I mean, we could do something like that today, but it's it's pretty clear that they're not going to give it to us. And I mean, it's also pretty clear that people don't know how to fight for we that. We already have it. That's the thing is that they don't have they don't have anything to give to us. Like Jeff Bezos's money is all predicated on the fact that he is going to earn that money. It's not actually he doesn't actually have it. Like you can't go into Jeff Bezos's house and like open a vault and just take the money and like redistribute it to the people because it's not actually his in the first place. All his money already belongs to us as the producers and the consumers. All we have to do is realize that and then just stop Stop working, stop paying rent, stop buying these things. Just do one of the three. We don't even have to do all three. Just pick one, and we can all do that together. All of a sudden, within one day or within one week, Jeff Bezos doesn't have any money anymore. Right? He's completely broke. Because it's not, yeah. it's not a matter of taking anything. It's a matter of just realizing that we already have it. It's already ours. Right? It's but people aren't working right now. You know, like, I mean, this is this is, again, one of those situations where we agree on what should happen, what needs to happen, but don't necessarily agree on on how it's going to happen. A good percentage of people aren't working right now. And look what happened. We received two stimulus checks. We have people, we have politicians talking about uh, completely canceling debt, like student loan debt. And these are all happening like seemingly coincidentally at the exact same time that a good portion of the nation isn't working. So if we, to me, it seems like pretty obvious that we still have the power. It's just a matter of seeing that in each other, the ability to organize together, which is what Jimmy was talking about in the beginning. You look at a Trump supporter. I feel like those policies weren't, those weren't like Biden's like, you know, uh, flagship policies. He, He was kind of, his hand was forced by Bernie and by the, by the progressives you know, who were pushing for that really hard, among other things. And, you know, he kind of, him and hard on it, 
And a one-time debt forgiveness is is some is you know something, but a, a few making it a future-proof thing where we just don't have. He he's the guy who wrote the law that said you can't declare bankruptcy from that debt if you're a student. He's the from one. So yeah, I know. But what changed his what? mind was not Bernie and the progressives. Yeah, it was saying please do it, please do it. No, they didn't. His real motivations no, it was, it was were Bernie's completely following. different. I think that he's. His real motivations were the fact that the economy was tanking and there was no other way to keep America afloat than to give the people the money. I'm saying that message was relayed to him through Bernie. He's the one who's championing that message and he's the one who deserves the credit for it. Bernie's been championing that message for 40 years and nothing happened. But all of a sudden... What are you talking about? All of a sudden, Bernie's, on the one Bernie's year... Bernie's really popular now. He's, he's gone against you know, the powers that be, which are designed to prevent people like him from, you know, from gaining influence. And he's done it in spite of that, you know? And actually had a grassroots movement, you know, actually started the campaign as an independent in a two-party system. Yeah, but what happened? He, he wasn't even able to get elected. He was, you know, backstabbed kind of and teamed up against. And he was, he was elected. What are you talking about? He was elected as senator. He's okay, as senator, senator but what, is, what can a senator do against 149 paid-off senators, right, or whatever? Like, he's got, he's the one, he's the one exception, right? And he's, he's the one who voices our opinion. They let him stay because... You know, he's not actually making any change until now. And the reason, the only reason the change is happening now is because people aren't working, in my opinion. Well, he's uh, he's also dealing with the powers that be. He's trying to work through with the Democratic Party who Mm -hmm. refuses to acknowledge what he's saying, you know. And you can't, he's, if you're coming up with a message and they keep saying, no, it's, you're wrong. We don't, we don't buy it. Then you can't change anything. If the Democratic Party is actually... Are you know the it, it reached a breaking point? It reached a critical yeah, mass. Exactly. And I I don't think you guys are in disagreement. I mean, I I kind of hear you both uh, arguing that electoralism doesn't really work, and the political but establishment doesn't really I, work I, I, for I'm, the I'm people. I'm saying we shouldn't give up on that. I'm saying the democracy dollars thing. I'm trying to. That's a really good idea. The more I think about it, I think that is a. Like I said, it, it gives the average person incentive and, and uh, leverage, you know, over the corporatists who do control stuff, whether or not they really have the money in the bank. They're the ones who are, you know, funding campaigns. You know, they're the ones in charge, really I are totally coming up with the policies. And it's not a, it's, that's not, you know, made up or, you know, no, an, an abstraction. I t- I t- Those are real things that like, mm-hmm. and the, the, that's the way it's been for so long. And people think that's the way it has to be, but that's I, democracy dollars is a way around that, and that would it, that would that would change things really fast. That would really turn things around. I think. You know? I think so too, and that's why they're never going to let it happen until we take a step. Like um, the democracy dollars themselves are a solution, but mm-hmm. it's a cyclical problem. Like there is no, there's no way they're going to let it through if. If to me the only thing that gives them enough motivation to let something like that through is is an actual. We know act we have corporate on, finance. We need corporate finance reform, like or campaign finance reform. We absolutely do. I totally agree with that. That's the yeah. solution. But the only way to get it as a people is not uh-huh. is not to protest anymore. We're done protesting. It didn't work. In my opinion, the only way no. to get it 
The only way to get yeah. it is to actually take the power back and tell, show them that we mean business by saying, no, I'm not going to work until you fucking figure this out, until you give us yeah, something. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying, like, what are we going to do? We're already, like, you know, poor. We, we're like, the, how do you get by? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, and we're already not working since the pandemic. Like, a ton of people are not yeah. working. And the most, the most uh, dismal thing about it is that people are protesting to go back to work, which is... Just such a, a, a housebroken um, position yeah. to take, like begging yeah. to begging to go back to work, even though those protests were like heavily money. astroturfed by by capital, not by the yeah. They think that's the only way to get money. They've conflated the idea of jobs with you know actual financial independence, which doesn't necessarily come. It doesn't come from jobs, um, yeah. and that that's what that's kind of what i mean when i say that there is no left like all the things you're saying are correct and that that's that's the kind of thing that could change the system but for the most part people don't understand that or how to do that they don't understand how to organize to have that power and Mm -hmm. the one of the worst effects of like the sweeping censorship that's taking place uh, that had already started taking place but is now being geared up after these uh after the capital thing you know uh, under the auspices of of that being like this domestic terrorism action is that we are not going to be able to educate these people on these things they're going to censor free speech uh to the right of you know establishment ideology but also to the left that's that's already started to happen uh reddit shut down a bunch of leftist political boards uh jacobin which is a socialist magazine can't uh be shared on facebook anymore and yeah, so unfortunately, we're the ones who are going to have to pay the price. Yeah, we're, we're going to pay the price. You know, and you pointed out like uh, the, the two stimulus checks we got. Like, yeah, we did get stimulus checks, but they were extremely stingy compared to what every other developed nation got. Yeah. Uh, and they were stingy. an effective and way not, to jumpstart the economy that was floundering. That the thing. We haven't all stopped working. Like uh, our, our actual productivity as a nation, our unemployment rate isn't that much higher than normal normal status quo it's just people just kind of shifted around there the way that we that we do our work and like on on each individual business we shifted things around but a large portion of us are still working for a strike to actually be effective you know we would actually have to have a in my opinion 10 times as many people not working for them to really wake up and for us yeah we're gonna take the hit that's the thing is that people won't make a sacrifice like that, sacrifice their bread, right, from their own mouths or their children's mouths until things get bad enough that they feel like they're already starving every day anyway. <laughs> so you're right. It sucks because we're going to have to take the hit. And it's like it's not, like the way I was presenting it, it sounded kind of like idealist and nice and fluffy. But at the end of the day, like people don't make actions like that unless – unless they're already up against the ropes. And at that point, you don't even need, in my opinion, you don't even need to have perfect communication abilities. Then we'll figure out a way to communicate with each other. Like censorship is a problem, but at that point when people are, when the economy is that far gone, when the more, the more money the millionaires grab, the worse the economy gets, you'll end up with people, enough people that are against the ropes that we're all just going to, you know, we're gonna we're gonna figure out something to do together. You know, 
But how are they going to communicate it to each other? I mean, are we going to use smoke signals? Like if you, (laughs) if they regulate social media and the online space to the point that you, you can't, they actively deter you not only from communicating about these things, but from even being aware of these things from like they control the source of information. In my opinion, it doesn't matter when they, they take away these things. Like if you think about like a trend, for example, how quickly does a trend occur in like when we were in high school and college, how quickly was it that you heard about a new word or a new phrase or a new dance and and you call your friend and within within a day they've heard the same thing and they live in a different part of the country and pretty much everybody you know and everybody you talk to has heard it. The speed with which this information passes, it can be by word of mouth, it could be by phone calls, it could be by podcasts. It, could be by a little bit through every single methodology of communicating but it spreads like wildfire when it's ready when the when the country's ready right when you're a tinderbox all it takes is that spark of an idea everybody's ready for and then it just you know it happens they can't censor that shit there's no way there's no way they can censor that shit i think the i mean there's go ahead jimmy there's still limitations with in a group communication you know because yeah within a group communication can you know go really quickly like you said Mm -hmm. but it's like that idea that we're you know islands of people you know and Mm -hmm. it's all about that intergroup like between those islands how do you how do you reach your grandpa with the dance move because he's not going to be privy to it even if all the high schoolers in the country are you know like he's in a different group if Um, it's popular enough he'll he'll hear it too and what you're talking about with empathy is all it takes, right? You look at a Trump yeah. supporter and you want to actually talk but to them. Empathy is the way to open the door, I'd say, for sure. You want to have a warm, open, honest kind of conversation with them. And uh, But I, I I, still think that the meta-narrative is being controlled by those group leaders to take the, you know, the, take the situation, say like, okay, everyone's out of work, everyone is, you know, starving. <laughs> what, what do we do with this information? How can we make meaning out of it? And that's that's where the battle is right now and and that's why like even when you lose the ability to communicate your meta narrative your understanding of it then then there won't be an uprising because they won't even know what to uprise it's not like no, they don't even know they're against their that's ropes an because illusion. They, they're they not even much they don't even realize they're in the boxing ring they think they're playing tetris you know it's like a totally yeah. different game to them i think i think that that illusion that we have that they're in so much control is is completely false. It's just, it's a well, projection that we have. I'm saying they, people still think Trump's going to be elected. People still think he's going to come. Like, why, why do they think that? Even though that's the situation clearly says the op- that's, yeah, it is. that's a good example of how meta narratives don't work, right? Because everybody, but, every news station uh, besides uh-huh. OAN is saying the same thing, saying a Trump didn't get elected, but yet still some people believe that he will. Not only that, but. You know, like, yeah, that's the example of people on the right who've sort of um, pooled all their hopes into this one populist figure. But also look at people on, and again, I don't even know how to use this term. I'm, I want to say the left, but, you know, the, the let's just say the, the liberal left who think yeah. that if we can prevent Trump from serving another term, or if we can impeach Trump in his last week in office, then we've won. Then we've solved racism, <laughs> solved class inequality, yeah. and they're and they're just going to go back to uh, whatever t- yeah. Uh, TikTok dances. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and it's true. And that's that's an example of the type of distraction where you feel like you're politically engaged. Uh, you feel like yeah. you're doing the work, but it's what's offered to you within that tightly controlled Overton window of acceptable discourse, you know? Yeah, and you, that, that only you know, works It's a, it's a pressure someone. release valve, like everything. Well, they keep adding new distractions, though. If anything, the, yeah. Signal, yeah. To, the signal to noise ratio has increased. There's more and more Doesn't information matter. flooding the space. In yeah. my opinion, that doesn't matter. Like the distractions only work for so long. When you have a conflict brewing, like let's say you have you're in a relationship, right? And there's something you need to discuss, a conflict that had that had occurred and you're just been putting it off and putting it off and trying to distract it in a million different creative ways. At some point mm -hmm. it's going to come out. And uh there's no way to avoid that in my opinion. Like like uh like uh what's his name? Your favorite actor jeff goldblum oh jeff goldblum who's Life, my favorite actor yeah no he's one of your favorites because you always talk about it you know but when am i talking about yeah, anyway, okay what like about jeff goldblum Jurassic park yeah like he says in Jurassic park he says life, life finds, a finds a way right um there's no way mm -hmm. they can prevent this and uh they think they might think they can because they have this illusion of control and power that they've created for themselves you know the powers that be think that they can do all this kinds of censorship tricks and distraction tricks but at the end of the day it's just a matter of money motivation right it doesn't matter what kind of uh, uh if you're in a democracy uh, or a dictatorship yeah. once people get motivated enough all they have to do is talk to each other and then it's over it's like it's game over and they know that that's probably why they're so scared they might a part of them might know that deep down that they, well yeah i mean the deep. internet the internet does represent a legitimate threat to establishment power but you can see the ways that they've attempted to control it. i mean the internet started as a military communications program you know uh, darpanet and then there was like this sort of um techno utopian period in the uh, 70s and you know leading into the 80s when people are like oh the internet is like this wild west where you can be whoever you want and and then it, that quickly got consolidated into the walled garden experience that is social media, you know, Facebook, uh, where algorithmically they can still decide what gets pushed to the top of your feed and what you see first, you know, and they can they can corral everyone into these echo chambers where you're not able to effectively create discourse uh, that reaches across class lines, race lines, the lines of cultural experience. And that I mean, that is uh, that's a pretty effective uh you know, petting zoo that we're all, nah, that we're all kept inside of. I don't know a single I person. I think that's a, I think that's like an idea we had put onto us because I don't know a single person who isn't aware right now that America is a shithole, <laughs> a shitstorm. <laughs> that America has the, has this need, this, this need for change. Like it doesn't even matter if they're like, they have a mental disability. They still know. You can ask somebody the very first day you meet them, like, what do you think about America right now? Like, just looks at just looks at Twitter all day or, you know, scrolls through the thing on your phone that gives you advice about what you should look at next. Just look through that all day. They still know. It really doesn't matter. It's just it's on the collective unconscious. Like, I think we I don't think yeah, we're giving yeah. people enough credit. But that's that's a tool, too. That's capitalist realism. Yeah, that's hypernormalization where you know there's a problem everybody knows there's a problem but you're just kind of like well i guess there's nothing we can do about it you know take the fact that we have no privacy anymore and uh you know like the the snowden 
leaks came out. And that's a huge story. Like that that blew the lid on a huge story. But everyone was kind of like, yeah, we, we kind of figured that was happening anyway. We already had kind of accepted yeah. that. But that's not that bad. Like at this point, that hasn't – my rights haven't been taken away to the point where like, for example, if you look at a country that actually is undergoing an evolution, right, like Egypt or um, – Bolivia. Yeah, or like any country. It doesn't matter if it's a dictatorship. Once, once you start to lose access to enough resources and the ability to express yourself, I think we're all just waiting for that moment. You know, they're they're trying to appease us, but it's not sustainable. They've learned that the greed of the people on top will continually push us forward, perpetually into this into this less and less sustainable state. And at one point, it's going to collapse. Like. Things don't just continuously grow and get worse and worse and worse. Eventually, it has to pop. Like the Eiffel 65 mm-hmm. guy said, you know, that's just, a, that's just a law of nature. It's just the way things have always worked and will always work. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, that is the model for capitalism is it only can function continuous growth or – well, the model is that it always has to keep growing even when yeah, you're yeah. completely globalized and cornered every market – and then you're rent seeking and and looking for any any coins you can still find left under the cushions, and that that is happening. We're reaching a breaking point, and it's it's not a it's not a bug. It's a feature of capitalism that there's going to be a significant economic downturn every ten years or so. Um, but yeah. I, I mean, it's happened in the past, and it's only resulted in upward transfer of wealth. We're experiencing that right mm-hmm. now, and it's coinciding with. I think possibly the biggest upward transfer of wealth in American economic history. Mm-hmm. I still think I still think you're looking on a small, too small of a time scale. Because when you're when you're talking about civilizations rising and falling, you think about maybe like the Roman Empire, for example. They were around a lot longer than we have been around. Like I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow or this year even. Um, it would be great if it did, but. Our, our, I think that it will happen a lot faster than it happened in, uh, in Rome or a lot of these countries because we're so hyper. We're still like constantly speeding up and accelerating to the point where it becomes yeah. unsustainable faster, in my opinion. It's, it's not so linear as that, I don't think, either. It's kind of like an Ouroboros thing where it feels like we're sort of like you know the snake consuming itself in the sense that uh, the meta-narrative gets controlled and so any kind of uprising is sort of put in the context of the meta narrative you know of yeah i'd say like the republicans um and then eventually like if even if uh like trump never takes office again and people you know who made the prediction that he would like they're they're not going to think that they were wrong or that like their meta narrative was wrong like that they don't take that as you know they won't take it as a hint they won't take a hint you know take the hint or whatever so to speak mm-hmm. Um, it it will just evolve. Their meta narrative will just twi- coil over itself, and it will just be like, oh well, yeah, well he's actually wasn't the chosen one. He it was you know someone very similar, but that was like actually because of this other thing. And they'll find some kind of really convoluted, you know, uh, story like plot twist component thing that they use to kind of hand wave any kind of you know misguided predictions or anything like that. You know what I mean? Well, you think? Do you think these people are yeah. part of the? And like, like and the QAnon. QAnon is like, 
yeah, QAnon is a good example of this. Like when people on Q found out, like you know, so many of the things that started on Q were just wrong, you know. And but the things that were wrong just faded away, you know. But it's just like a it's like a fan fiction that kept twisting on itself, you know. It's like well, oh, Trump has to back out because he's trying to take down the deep state. He's going undercover now, or something like that. You know, like yeah, it'll be a new. Do I think what? Well, do you think these people are the QAnon people um, are are part of the meta narrative um, being orchestrated, or do you think that I'm saying every every group has a meta narrative that they maintain and you know subscribe to? Do you think that the elite have control of this meta narrative? Well, the elite have you know like the whole mainstream me- uh, news media thing. They do. They the it's the corporatists in control. But QAnon's not mainstream. It. It's going against all the mainstream media. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm saying every every you know sect of humanity has that that that's an example of controlled opposition. Because I what don't is think QAnon? we we yeah I don't think we grasp quite yet the degree to which social media is the most effective uh, propaganda tool in history, a sophisticated propaganda tool in history, because. Yeah. People do understand that, yeah, a legacy media, broadcast media, like, oh, yeah, the news, the news, news bad, news bad, fake news. Um, yeah. But social media yeah. feels like uh, something that we have control over. It feels like, well, we've removed mm-hmm. the gatekeepers uh, to a degree, which, you know, oh, obviously that's not true. Yeah. Um, Again, I don't think you're giving people enough credit because almost everybody I've talked to in the last several weeks has told me the same thing. Facebook is bullshit. They're right, they know that, but they, but they all left Facebook and went to Instagram, which is owned and operated by Facebook. And yeah, there, no, there is no, there is no forum the same for... Thing. If, you look, if you look at it, the, the, a, a slightly larger time scale, you could see that, you could see that the same thing's going to happen to Instagram. It just goes one after the other, and that's why that's yes, how life finds Yes, and then where do they go? They Parler? go to the next one. Parler they go to just the next got one, shut and down. the next one is slightly better. Like Instagram, you have to admit, Instagram is slightly better for us than Facebook. But yeah, but I, Facebook, but they're all slightly worse than MySpace. I don't know that we're. <laughs> I don't know that things are getting better. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah, MySpace was the shit. <laughs> yeah. That we can agree on. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think no, but that, I mean, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, the the way ideas work in the collective unconscious, sometimes it feels like you're taking a step back, but it's necessary in order to take a step forward. Um, like if you're on a hike and you you climb up, you start climbing up this rock face, and then you reach this sheer flat surface, and you realize, well, there's no way I'm getting up this. I have to go try a different route, and then you go backwards, go around, and come come up the other side. There's a methodology to the way our collective unconscious is working, and it seems messy and sloppy, but on a large enough time scale, I think you can see that uh, the best ideas are winning out. It just takes time, you know. Just the best. It's not I- really about the best ideas. It's like the strangest ideas get the most likes and retweets. You know, in the That's moment, how it feels. In the moment, yeah, but in the long term, nobody remembers that shit. Who, no, what, but it's, what do it's we become broken. from the '60s, for example, you know. Well, the '60s had like the what, hippies what movement, you know, and the anti, you know, the anti-war movement. We remember Vietnam. the things that serve us, that serve us the best, right? That the ideas that worked, that that seem to actually perpetuate us as a collective being striving for for not only growth but happiness. Um, things that make us unhappy 
will not yeah will not serve us but, forever you know i mean the, the 60s is a is a perfect picture perfect example of dissent being uh controlled and and recuperated you know all the most radical ideas of the 60s eventually i mean what happened to all those yupp- uh hippies they became yuppies they mm-hmm. uh became the professional managerial class or small business owners that today are supporting trump mm, i don't know i don't know about that it's kind of a bold statement that's kind of a generalization I mean, well, supporting Trump or, I mean, there's plenty of yuppies that are also, you know, supporting the center left, the liberal establishment. Yeah, totally. Uh, as totally. if that's a radical idea. Um, yeah. Point, point well, no, being, I'm not talking about the hippies themselves. Been... We're not trying to per- perpetuate those exact individuals. I'm talking about the ideas of the hippies. Like, they lived on, like, um, certain, I know it sounds corny, but, like, certain like, ideas are the things that live on beyond a human being's life. Like, uh, we'll always remember fondly, most fondly in our pop culture, in our movies, in our songs, the best parts of each decade. And we'll bring those by remembering them. We can bring those into the into the future. Like, um, like they said the same thing. People have said the same thing for like two centuries about Native Americans. Like, oh, they're going to die off and we're going to lose all their wisdoms. But it hasn't happened yet. You know, despite all the shitty things that ever happened to them. They've got a good, they had a good thing going and they're fucking hardy. Like they're surviving because it's like, in my opinion, these people have figured out a way to live. That's, that's just in my, in my opinion, just better. They figured out a way to live with the land in harmony. And for that reason, we haven't, we haven't eradicated them. Like we thought we would like, like thousands of people have, have predicted and thought they would, they haven't, they haven't been eradicated. And there's a reason for that, I think. It's just because it's just a better... The way that, that uh, Native Americans live life, um, different tribes, is I mean, more sustainable in the long run. Y- you, you found that, like, because you went to the source and, and learned it from them. But mm-hmm. in terms of culture at large, our remembrance of Native Americans has been diluted to, you know, uh, the, the Washington Redskins. You know, it's no, a it's caricature it of be. the most superficial aspects... It's what not as bad mean? as it I, used to be. I, it used to be straight up just propaganda about Native Americans used to be, in my opinion, even more, far more narrow than it is now. Like we, we had a re, what's the word, um, like a resurgence of Native American ideals in the 60s. And we're having another one now. Was there a resurgence of, of Native American ideals in the 60s? In the 60s, yeah, in the 60s. And uh, it was also, we also had an opening of a door to the Eastern world, to the Eastern religions, Eastern, you know, ways of living Mm -hmm. in the 60s. And then it kind of went away. And then we're coming, it came back. Like the yoga movement was huge. And yeah, it got bastardized. You can bastardize anything, but that's beside the point. Like, in my opinion, we can still remember the best parts of yoga if we want to. We can still remember the best parts of what we learned from. I feel like everyone is so busy, you know, being part-time propagandists that they're, you know, because they've discovered you can garner, you know, gain a following that way, mm-hmm. that it's just, it's increased the signal-to-noise ratio problems significantly, you know, and it's sort of like the long tail of, of propaganda that we're experiencing yes. right now. You become part of the market. Yoga becomes Lululemon. Um, mm-hmm. The '60s, which were full of radical ideas, you had black communist revolutions in the '60s, um, but that sort of be- becomes subsumed to tie dye and 
uh, LSD, you know, which the CIA proliferated in the 60s. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like like the, the Native American example, what I'm saying is you sought that out. For whatever unique to yourself reason, you sought out a way to learn real things, real um, uh, examples of that culture firsthand. But most people don't get that. And for the most part, it gets uh, assimilated into the market and becomes a product for us to to consume. It gets assimilated, but not killed. Um, like, like, I don't think you can kill an idea. I don't know. I just, I think it can get, uh, it can get hidden. You can make it irrelevant. It can become, yeah, hidden pretty well or made irrelevant pretty well. But uh, I don't think... I think there's a reason why that's like a famous quote. It's like, you, you can kill me, but you can't kill an idea or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I said that on the last one in reference to Trump, Trump's Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can kill, you can kill so a man, so, but you can't okay, kill so an idea. But they killed the idea, not the man. Of Trump? Yeah. Because they, they deleted his Twitter and he's still around. They deleted Trump's his Twitter around. and became no, the sacrificial the, public oh. sacrifice, you know. No, they didn't yeah. kill the idea. Him to, in my opinion, the idea... I mean, they're in, they're in the process of killing the idea. They're, they'll try to, In order to, to consolidate it, power. Yeah, I mean, they'll try to, but in, in, in my mind, that's only going to make him, his, his uh, what he stood for, stronger in a way. And yeah. at the end of the day, what my takeaway from Trump is that politics is not actually in, his, in control. Like, lead, our leaders are not in they don't have their shit together. Like they don't have as much control as we think they do. And that's Mm. a takeaway that, well, that's doesn't, that doesn't leave you. Like that doesn't just, that's not something you forget. You know what I mean? That's going to be sitting in the back of our minds for the next several months until, until another thing pops up. Another person, maybe it could be someone on the left Mm. or on the right, or it could be someone completely unaffiliated with politics. Yeah. Off of what we were saying earlier, maybe like if it's difficult to apply critique to politics on the the left, then look at the right where they're experiencing like the same slide into precarity and economic anxiety that, you know, ostensibly could, we're we're arguing, trigger some sort of like mass organization and solidarity response. But that's like probably the most uh, absurd ab- example of people not being able to articulate um, the the root causes of their precarity. Like these are people who um, things are getting worse for, you know, and we, we can extend them that degree of empathy, like for, for white middle-class people. Um, and I, and, you know, I'm hesitant to paint Trump supporters with a broad, broad brush, but let's take that demo, for example, uh, mm-hmm for whom things definitely have not been as bad as they have been for, you know, people of color who have experienced the brunt of poverty and austerity policies uh, in the U.S. But still, those people are being uh, proletarianized. Um, You know, they are losing their small businesses right now. There's a massive culling of small businesses across Mm -hmm. the country. And that is sort of the new... um, yeah. Uh, mechanism of being middle class. It's not so much uh, owning land anymore. It's it's owning a business. Um, businesses mm-hmm. are being consolidated into the big, you know, the big ones, mm-hmm. and uh, and these people are, you know, like we were talking about a second ago. That's that's the only way that capital can search through the couch cushions and find what money is left is by taking away labor rights, paying people less, 
yeah. downsizing. Um, yeah, but they're not being smart about it. In my opinion, exactly. That's my point. That's my point. They, instead of looking at that and saying, oh, I mean, this, the whole point is that in the United States, the poor do not realize they are poor. They just think that they are temp- temporarily embarrassed millionaires and billionaires. Yeah. They think yeah, that yeah. if I grind and hustle hard enough, I'm going to be Jeff Bezos one day. I'm going to be the boot. That's the meta narrative stuff. The and look what they That's did. The I mean, this is the whole point. They didn't yeah. organize. They didn't achieve. They, they achieved solidarity, but behind a ridiculous doomed idea, behind a single politician, a populist, but still a politician who took them on this insane journey uh, that he lost control of after a while, as you can see. I mean, when he was yeah. up there telling him, OK, we love you. We're very special, uh, but go home. You have to go home. He was scared of the monster that, that you know, he or whatever that the system created at that point. Yeah. Um, and so w- when we talk about distractions that keep people from effectively organizing, it ends up being stuff like that. It ends up being a spectacle, li- literally a, a spectacular thing that controls the narrative and distracts people from effectively organizing. And that's what we have to figure out how not to uh, fall prey to. Because mm-hmm. you better believe yeah. that there can be yeah. a, a Trump of the left or something, you know, something similar to that, a spectacle. Yeah. Bernie. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I would like to believe that Bernie was a true believer. You know, he's been on the right side of history for his mean. entire life. But yeah. Bernie didn't win. Bernie, Bernie was defeated by the system, whether it was fair or not, the way that mm. they defeated him. Putting yeah. all your hopes and dreams behind a single politician and behind electoralism doesn't work. Yeah. And when yeah, I try to express these things gone. to people. That's just one person, some old guy. Like the idea is not gone. And... Uh, both of those ideas are still in there, like in our unconscious. And those people who are consolidating businesses, they're not doing it strategically in order to con- control the, po- the populace, in my opinion. The reason that they're, that they're shutting out all the small businesses and consolidating power with this, you know, however methods they can find is greed. It's just a power grab. And they're just doing it because they're trying to fight the other big businesses and trying to maintain the... Uh, you know the stockholders, the shares that they that they live for, and the only way to defeat them is to take away their power, like seize the means of production, go on strike. Yeah, I mean, we, we yeah we totally agree. I mean, we, I, I I agree yeah. with that. It's just a question of definitely how to do that. Okay. Which I I don't have an answer for. I don't know. Well, you you don't yeah. you don't like the idea of a strike? No, no, no. I love the idea of a strike. It's how to scale it. I can be like, all right, we're going on strike, but how do you scale that? How do you make that a, a general strike um, on a scale that's going to affect the bottom line of... Well, just like the like CEOs we... can't control it and the politicians can't control it, we can't control it either. It's just going to happen. I'm just trying to predict the future here. I just look at the, I just look at the way things have been going, and I'm thinking that it's just, a, it's just inevitable that, these th- that something like this will happen and we'll be a part of it because of our beliefs but other people will be a part of it because of completely different reasons you know because the the rational mind can come up with a billion different reasons and excuses for why we do something but the motivations stay the same like i'm hungry you know i feel like i can't express myself i need shelter you know people on the right are, are like i'm hungry too but they think i'm hungry let me open up my business so i can you know continue to do business as usual again Mm-hmm. But they can't. They're not going to be allowed to. So what's but, uh, the other? I'm saying that's what they're fighting for. And so mean, the goals yeah. are going to be different. Well, that's why the Occupy movement was so weak. Is that everybody had their own 
idea for what was going to come of this. But as we get hungrier and hungrier, it'll become more and more simple, right? Like it, your, your ideas and your motivations become more clear. It's just like, I want food <laughs> instead of, instead of um, I think we should do this and I think we should do this. And there's, there's no more infighting when you're just, when you just, you just want food. You know, you just want some security and safety and you just want, you know, they can point fingers all they want just with their, for, with their distractions about who's the real cause of the problem. But the contempt for the rich just increases. Yeah. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It did obviously happen before, like with the labor movement with FDR. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have social media to contend with. You know, yeah. that's another variable. That's true. It's going to be different. Mm-hmm. What's that expression? The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Yeah, yeah you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Yeah. That's right. We can't use social media to do it. Because they won't let us, you know, like the, yeah. it'll be because, uh, you know, angry people click angry people also comment and stuff and report pages and say like this stuff sucks so i feel like those were kind of misfire attempts at real like at a real meaningful change in a way you know because people don't like being yelled at they don't like being talked at you know yeah i think it's one thing to challenge someone and to say like look this challenges me too is in you know you have to meet their you know as, as vulnerable as you expect them to be you have to be vulnerable first you have to lead the way with that and that has not happened with, you know, any kind of social meaningful media. pages that I've seen, you know, online or social media. It's always like this kind of uh, egoic sort of he-man, she-man. Well, like, I've met some socialist, some warm socialist leaders in, in Albuquerque. On, on social media? No, 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 no. I don't. Yeah, I'm talking about media. the social media movements because that's where, you know, that's where things were changing a lot. Well, we just said that you can't, you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. So the revolution probably isn't going to happen on social media. It almost happened. With, you know, with, with Bernie Sanders, he had this whole famous like, $27, $27 average donation because social media worked really well you know, for his campaign. He was able to have a grassroots thing. And he was angry at the corporations, but he wasn't angry at people for not knowing better. You know, like the general, he was angry at the powers that be, but he never, like, Bernie was still kind towards other people. Like, he still was really patient, I felt like, in debates and everything. I don't know. And, uh, but I feel like other leaders who were following in the footsteps of Bernie and, and, you know, in their own ways were just a little too, too antagonistic. Yeah, they're they're not the right ones. When the right com- one comes along, we'll know. And- yeah, but they're the ones shouting the alarm like, oh, it's all, the ship is sinking. Like, there's no resistance yeah. anymore. Yeah, and I think, I, I think, like, there is, you know, in the future, we, sh- we need to keep an eye on it. Especially after this, uh, you know, new kind of, like, dance of, like, a 9-11 event, like a liberal 9-11 event. But, <laughs> yeah. but I think, I still think there's a, an avenue, you know. In social media? On social, on, yeah, like. I think that there's, we we need to have some kind of consolidated effort, right? Grand effort, like a general strike. It doesn't really work if it's just a pocket here or there. I don't think, yeah. you know. Um, we need to have a consol like a consolidated voice, and then on the other hand, we need to have a really democratized, broken down, you know, distribution of power away from corporations into the hands of the people. Those two things are kind of fighting against each other. 
create a kind of dissonance that don't, I, I think it's sort of a gap in the market. You could say if you were like a, you know, capitalist, <laughs> like there's a, an opportunity here. To, and I, I thought about this too. There, there, what about the alternatives like a decentralized platforms? Well, yeah, there's, there's like signal and telegram, um, telegram, signal. And the whole appeal of those is that they use end-to-end encryption. Mastodon. That's supposed to be Mastodon. Have you guys heard of Mastodon? You can't destroy the master's house with the Mastodon. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's where I got it. Yeah. That's no, what's one Mastodon? That, was, that one is like, it, it, it seems like it has promise, but it also is kind of confusing. It's like everyone joins something that they have to provide like a host, a host server on. So they're kind of hosting their own site while also leaving it open to others to join. So you're going to have to... Oh, It's kind of like I blockchain. Where it's kind of like no, Discord. It's like decentralized. Yeah, yeah, like a Discord group. So D- Discord is what I would, would say would be like the most effective alternative because it's but insular Can groups. you post images on Discord? Oh, yeah. Stuff? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it functions a lot like, like an image board, like, like the chance or something like that, except things don't get deleted. After, yeah after when people get like bored just sitting at home without a job and they start to they start to get hungry i feel like they start to think differently and they get more motivated to do certain things like that you know yeah the devil finds work for idle hands it's usually used as like don't let the devil find work for idle hands but if this year has been an example of anything it's that people do you know we don't have to work 48 hours a week it does leave a lot of room for you to explore um, quote-unquote dangerous ideas.